Well, good morning. All right. If you will, take your copy of God's Word this morning. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. As I mentioned earlier, the title this morning of the message is The Heavenly Husband. Now I know the people that will hear this, there will be some uh, here and wherever they may be uh, that will hear this message that some are widows, some are widowers, some may not have been married yet. Uh, however this applies to your life, take it and use it. Uh, if there's no other way, pass the information on, be a blessing to somebody else. I believe that every man of God wants to be a wonderful husband. And I know there are times when we may have gotten married and we were not Christians. And at some point in time uh, that we were since we were married, that we come to know Christ, uh, whatever and however it applies, use this today. I'm going to give you all this information that the Lord has given me by the wisdom of His Word. Uh, there's four points that I'm going to bring out, and it's all different scriptural texts today. Uh, husbands, love your wives, not a fantasy wife. I'll explain that one. Be not bitter against your wife. Give due attention to your wife. And the last one is, Fathers, provoke not your children. Now, this message, like many of these, this could be a five-part series, uh, but I don't have that type of time. So we're going to bring this to you today by the way the Lord has given it to me. Now, before I pray, listen to a few things. A godly husband confirms to his wife that the Word of God is real, and powerful. A godly father confirms to his son or sons how they should treat their wives. And a godly father confirms to his daughter or daughters on how a husband should treat her. See, we don't think much about being husbands and fathers of actually how far down the chain it actually goes. Of how we should be that leading example in our children's lives. So the boys, our sons, know how to treat their wives and our daughters should know how to be treated. Husbands are too. Be the spiritual leader of the home. Christian husband, it's not your wife's responsibility, it's yours to be the spiritual leader of the home. Husbands are to be the keeper of the home, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That is your responsibility. The third thing is that husbands are to stay faithful to your wives in all things. Not just one, but in everything. Husbands are to be honest with their wives. Even if you know what you will say will hurt her feelings. Gentlemen, I know there's many times that we try to spare our wife's feelings because of what and how we think she's going to respond. You need to say what needs to be said, 
but you need to do it with godliness and with a compassionate heart. Be the servant of God that your wife and family need you to be, just not in word. Let you be the leading example. And for those of you that are grandparents, be the exact same thing. Grandfathers, be that leading example. Love and raise your children in the ways of the Lord. Be that ultimate example. We come to church on Sunday and we act one way, and on Monday we act another way. That's hypocritical. God sees it, and our family sees it. So be that ultimate example. Now listen to this statement. Husbands and wives are to work with one another, not for one another. Amen. Amen. We are to work with one another and not for one another. Our wives are not to be in submission as in just doing what we tell them to do. We should be a helpmate and working with one another. And the last one is, and understand this by the, by the pretext by which the Lord gave me both these statements late yesterday, is take the time to know her outside of the bedroom. Know who she is as a person. Love her for who she is. For what she has given. Not what she can give. This is a message that every Christian husband needs to hear. Doesn't matter again whether you're married or not. Doesn't matter of the understanding of where you're at in your life now. It's just understanding that heavenly husbands have a great role to play. We're to work with our wives. We're to help them. I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of myself, and I know I'm going to repeat some of this stuff, but that's okay. Maybe we need to hear it twice this morning. Is that we find the ideas that we are there to be the helpmate. We should never have a precept of mind and heart that my wife only does this. We should be willing to do everything with them. My wife doesn't just cook, nor does she just clean, nor is that her responsibilities. We share those responsibilities, and we have for going on 30 years. She is not under my feet. She helps guide my feet. She is a woman that I love because she loves me. This godly husband in this life that we have is such a powerful thing, and there are so many people that are watching. I don't believe that there is any one Christian father that would ever want his daughter to grow up and marry somebody that's going to be abusive. That's why we train our children when they are young, as Proverbs says, so then that way when they grow up, they see and understand what lies before them. And before they step down the aisle of matrimony, that they realize what they're getting into and who they're getting involved with first. We're to there to help. We're there to be a guide. Sitting here and listening today, if you're a great godly husband, God bless you. But we all have room for improvement. Every one of us. Be a help, not a hindrance. So let's see what the Word of God says. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to read verses 23 to 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 to 25. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he, Christ, is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And finally, in verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, for the next few minutes that we will spend together in your word. Father, we pray that you would take this and use it and rightly divide it in the ways that it needs to be used. Touch bless and move as only you can father if there's one does not know jesus christ as a personal lord and savior that lord it doesn't matter of what the written or read text is today father your spirit can move in ways that we will never know father i pray that you will draw the lost unto yourself and help us as christians to draw away from ourselves and draw closer to you so we thank you so much we love you into your name we pray. Amen. Years ago, in the 1000 block of West Virginia Avenue, I responded to a domestic, and to make a long story short, uh, and I've used this not too long ago, but it was very appropriate this morning, is that the husband come home from a hard day's work, and he was angry because his wife didn't have supper on the table. So we got through it, uh, we talked about it, and at the conclusion, he understood that her role in the home was not just that of cooking him meals, bringing him slippers or whatever precepts that he had in his mind. He realized and understood that when we parted ways that the way that he treated her was the way that she would treat him. Y'all getting that right? Okay, I'm just letting that settle in for just a moment. So as men, we think sometimes that we have this precept of mind in the heart because we are the husband, we are the male, that we are supreme and that we are to be the ones that are to be bowed to and we are the ones that are wives are supposed to look up to us and not look at us. The first point I wanted to make this morning was is that husband love your wives not a fantasy wife. Now you say, well, what does that mean? It means stop trying to fantasize about what you think that your wife needs to be and start helping her to become the wife that she knows she needs to be. Be a blessing. Be an encouragement. Be an uplifting. Be a blessing to her and to all that are there. There are so many times throughout history where men have looked at other men's wives and it wasn't maybe of a sensual nature, but it was like, man, I wish well, she would do this and wish she would do that. I wish she would be at the door and that she would have my slippers waiting on me and she would already draw me a warm bubble bath and all this was done and all that's done. It says, man, she's doing that. Is she? What you think goes on behind closed doors may actually not be what is actually going on behind closed doors. And here's the thing, if you want your slippers brought to you, put them at the door on your way out going to work. <laughs> Amen. If you want a hot meal on your way home, there's got to be a Popeye's or a KFC somewhere along the way. Take an insulated bag with you so it stays warmer. So many times as men that we 
perceive what we think that we want. But what we need our wives to be is simply our wives. As a man that's been married almost 30 years, the greatest thing that I've always needed and took advantage of early in life was just simple love. Love. Love for me. Love looking over our bad times and love not in submission to a man, but in subjection to the word of God. If I can say this quickly, I didn't mention it to Tracy, but when she first accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior, one of the first things that she challenged her own heart with was about how she was to be and to perform as a, meaning her life, as a Christian wife. And I didn't know that until years later. She never told me. That her first challenge for her was to find out what it was that God wanted her to do and how she was to be. And I found that to be a great blessing, not that it was any one thing or the other, because before she was saved, we still did dishes together, we cooked together, we cleaned the house together, we had always done those things before she was a Christian. But it was a blessing to know that she loved Jesus enough that she wanted to change her life to identify with what he wanted her to be. And that just truly blessed my heart. So Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife. This is a leadership role, gentlemen, that we need to be even as Christ is the head of the church. And we do understand and should understand that if Christ is in charge of the church, he's to be left in charge of the church. And yet so here the Word of God teaches us that we, for the husband, is that overseer. It's the one that takes care of in this leadership role that in our role as husbands and as Christians' husbands that we should put our wife's needs before ourselves. And their hearts before our hearts and their absolute needs before our needs. The intimacy of the mind and of the heart, not of the flesh to be first be met. But yet that we need to find the realities and we need to live our life and be in submission just the exact same way that is Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, he says, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ. Therefore, as the church needs to be in subjection to what Christ's will is, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. I had somebody years ago say, well, that verse right there means that she's supposed to do exactly what I want, when I want, and how I want. I said, I'd love to see your definition of that, and how well is it going for you? I said, is your wife falling into subjection with that yet? Or, or, or is she uh, bringing a, a retribution with your theology? He says, well, well, wait a minute. The Word of God, I said, you need to read the Word of God and study the Word of God to know what it says, to know how to act as a husband. And your wife is not, again, under your feet. Your wife is there for you to take the responsibility to love her and to encourage her and to uplift her and to be a blessing to her. If any man has ever understood anything, and I've heard this said throughout the years, that as soon as you figure out a woman, write a novel because it'll become a bestseller. Any of you women want to say amen? Amen. Any of you want to get mad at me now? No, it's okay. What I'm saying is, is with the idea of understanding, is that we look to our wives, and our wives need to look to us to be the fleeting example of who they need to be. They look at us and they see yet inside of themselves who they are. As a Christian woman's what I'm talking about. 
That as we work together and as we we live life together and as we love together and as we move forward together in the good times and the bad times, that we all need to give that great example of our wives to follow. Why? Because it is a spiritual matter. It is not a natural matter. It is a spiritual matter with a Christian husband and a Christian wife and that our lives are conformed together to be what it is that Christ wants us to be. Boy, here's the doozy, gentlemen, in verse 25. And we talk about love and we talk about family and we talk about all the things of the world. He says, husbands, love your wives. It would be great if it just had a period after that, wouldn't it? But the Apostle Paul gives the greatest of encouragement through the greatest of examples of us as Christian husbands to follow that husbands love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a lot. That's huge. And you think, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I can't do that. Jesus hung on the cross. He gave everything. Brothers, let me tell you what. All you got to do is give your heart. He gave His flesh. You just give your heart. Love them. Cherish them. Appreciate them. Work with them. Help them. Build them up. Do everything that you can. Why? Because Christ gave everything to the church. We are to give everything in marriage. We are to love them in everything. We are to love them in all things. And listen, I'm not going to stand here in front of you and say that and try to lead you to believe that I'm being hypocritical because I know that every marriage has ups and downs. I know there's days when we get up and we don't feel good. I know there's days when we deal with great travesties of life. I know there's days in our married life that we deal with life and we deal with death. There's a lot of things in life that we deal with, but it's dealing with them together to be able to get past the circumstance instead of being a one-sided affair that you're both dealing with the same issue but you're dealing with them in separate ways. That causes division. It does not bring unity. When we look at something one way, and I'm not saying that when an issue comes up in your life that you as a man, because you all process things a little differently, and you wives can say amen. Amen. And then there's ways that the wife is dealing with the same thing you're dealing with and she may want to come and talk to you, maybe. I know not every woman's the same. Or she may want a little quiet time. But here's the thing. It's okay to have time to separate yourselves, to get your thoughts, but there must be a time where you come conjoined together quickly that you become the spiritual leader of the relationship and we grab our wives' hands, we kneel beside the bed, or we sit there in our, ch- in our chairs, whatever it is, and we hold each other's hands and we become the spiritual leader and we begin to pray for our family and for the love that we share over the circumstance that we're dealing with. That's what a Christian husband does. I don't care whether you think, I don't, I don't ever want to pray in church. Let me tell you what, you don't want to pray openly in the church? Well, fall under great conviction because you need to pray in the house of God. But understand this, you better be praying with your family. You better be grabbing your wife's hand. You better be grabbing your children's hands. You better step up and step out on faith and be the man that you need to be because Christ stepped out. He gave us everything so we are to give everything into the love relationship that we have with our wives. Now I'm going to give you this one quickly. Oh, I've heard this one over the years. Well, I'm no longer in love with her. We don't see things the same way. Well, if you call yourself a Christian husband, you better be getting on your face before God seeking the answers. Mm -hmm. 
Because running from the problem isn't going to fix it. Finding the abilities to step out, to kneel down. You say, well, I don't love her, Pastor. How much do you love yourself? How about you just take about 20% of how much you love yourself because you know you're being selfish. And how about you just take 10% of that 20% and put it towards fixing your marriage. And I promise you in a very short period of time that you will both grow and your love affair will manifest and grow again. Are y'all getting this? I know some people don't want to hear it, but that's okay. Love creates action. In verse 25. Love creates action. He loves the church and He gave Himself for it. So love creates action. If you love your wife, you create action. If you love your children, you will create action. Do you love the Lord? Colossians chapter 3 verse 19. Colossians 3 and verse 19. The second point I wanted to bring out this morning is, is be not bitter against your wife. So let's see what the Apostle Paul says. He says, husbands, love your wives. Well, that's pretty straightforward, amen? But he also says, and be not bitter against them. Wow. How does that work? How do we find bitterness? I'll tell you right now how you find it. Unresolved issues. I'm going to let that settle in for just a minute. Unresolved issues. Bitterness is not something that comes straight out of the gate. Bitterness is something that is worked upon and built upon. Bitterness is something that there's issues in your own mind, in your own heart. You look at your wife and she's so happy to be with you. She's glad to be with you. Your life is good in her eyes and you're looking inside of your life and you're saying, well, how can she be so happy when I'm so miserable? So the problem is not her, it's you. So bitterness evolves. It's something that takes place. It's not something, again, that just takes place over one day. This is a circumstance over minds and of hearts. And this bitterness and this, this, this lack of desire, this, this sharpness and this unpleasant, as the Word of God here, and, and we, we read the definition of bitter, that it's an unpleasant taste, that it's something that is grievous to your heart. But here's the thing, remember it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen through one circumstance. It took place throughout a lifetime together. And realize that, understand, I know the Apostle Paul is addressing husbands to the wives, but wives, this can be the exact same thing towards your husband. That you hold on to this bitterness that it is, it's something that just builds upon itself and builds upon itself. If there's no fire, if there's no fuel, then the problem goes away. And this is what the Apostle Paul says, but with the husbands, he just simply says, listen, he says, if you got something that you need to say, say it, but say it with grace and love. 
Now I'm saying that because I've seen this, I've heard this throughout all the years where we, we as men, you sit there and you can call her nagging, you can call her picking, you can call her whatever you want. But here's the problem. Did we ever take the time to talk to her about it? Did we ever sit down over a cup of coffee as adults and say, listen, babe, I love you with all my heart, but this is what's going on. Maybe that ain't what she meant. Maybe it is what she meant, but you ain't going to dissolve it and it won't be resolved until it's dealt with. And then this bitterness begins to grow and this distance begins to grow. I know there were some men that were so glad when they stopped building pickup trucks with a bench seat. I can tell you that right now. I know there's time. There had to be, there has to be a man, past or present, that was out there that when trucks went to bucket seats, they was like, oh, that was a blessing from heaven. Y'all know what I'm talking about. That you're just you're there and you're just like, man, I don't let me tell you what, if you're trying to push your wife away, you better draw closer to Jesus. Because there's something going on in your life as a Christian man and as a Christian husband. And if you are trying to push your wife and your family away, you better get closer to Christ and understand what the problem is. Because if they're still wanting a bench seat and you're praying for bucket seats, the problem is not the bench, it's the bucket. It's your heart and you need to pour it out before Christ. You getting all that? Come on, man, y'all smile, man. This is good stuff. If it's bringing conviction to your heart, just start praying right now and ask the Lord to help you. Don't wait till the altar call because you probably ain't going to come anyway, so you might as well do it where you're sitting at. <laughs> hey, I'm just giving you, that's just the way it is. Come on now. I've only got you for another hour. One of the other things quickly I want to bring to you over this bitterness is, gentlemen, we need to understand what motivates our wife's actions and reactions. Stop paying attention to what she's doing and understand why she's doing it. Wives, it's the exact same thing for your husbands. It is. This is not one-sided. Why is she doing what she's doing? Is she leading out of human emotion? Is she leading out of raw emotion? Is she responding as a wife? Is she responding as a mother? God bless you mothers. Oh my gosh. To have a mother's heart. Men, we would only benefit from that even if we could look into a godly mother's heart for just two minutes and to be able to understand how they feel. And let me encourage you with this quickly that giving birth does not make you a mother. Let that settle in. Why is she doing what she's doing? Why, what's, what's motivating her actions and her reactions? What is causing all of this? Brothers, let's be the men of God we need to be and let's grab her hand because I can tell you right now, if your wife's a Christian, even if she's not a Christian, she needs you to be the Christian you need to be and you need to grab her hand, you need to kneel and you need to pray. She needs prayer. She needs comforting. She needs guidance. She needs to know that she's loved. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 3. The third one is give due attention to your wife. First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 3. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. 
And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Attention, gentlemen, and maybe this doesn't fit you today, but maybe it'll fit somebody else down the road somewhere uh, in your life that you can minister to. And this is a bad misconception of people. Attention does not always mean sexual contact. When we are young, we believe that that's what it is. We believe that our wives, it's all about physical contact between the husband and wife. And sometimes we have men that think that, well, sex fixes everything. And I'm telling you what, I've lived long enough that sex usually creates more problems when the actual problem is not dealt with. Because your wife doesn't need your physical body. Your wife needs your spiritual understanding that you become the husband that you need to be. You need to stop. Listen, you need to take your wife to the bedroom. That's fine. But how about kneeling down next to the bed? How about grabbing her hand and crying out to Jesus Christ? And how about just reaching over and grabbing her heart and her mind? And when she's crying, that you just grab her and you draw her in and you don't say a word. You just let her cry it out. You let her think it out. You let her process it out. And then when her mind and her heart begins to find resolve through the quietness of her, of her cries and her tears, that you just reach to her and you grab a hold of her and you say, baby, I love you with all my heart. Let's talk to Jesus about this problem. Let's talk to the Lord about the problem. Let's see what Christ has to say. Let's get this thing worked out. I can't stand to see you cry. I want to see you. Listen, the only tears that I want to see come down your face is because you are laughing so hard and we are having such a good time and you are so happy that's where I want to see your tears let's be who we need to be and let's love them and let's take care of them so that's why the apostle Paul says let the husband render to give this benevolence this kindness this goodwill let's give it to our wives let's pour it out in Jesus Christ let's give it to our wives in a way that they're going to look at you and I know it won't happen but they're going to look at you and say look babe that's enough Amen. I don't think any Christian woman is ever full and over full of Christian affection. But you have to admit when both parties are in tune with Christ and with themselves, everything is a blessing. Everything. Do you feel love? Do you know love? Have you ever experienced love? If you're Christian, you have. It's the greatest example of love. That agape love of God that has been poured out into your heart and your life. You say, well, pastor, I'm struggling. It's, I'm so, there's so much division. There's so much separation. We live in the same house, but we're living two separate lives. What do we do? How do we get there? Christian wife, if your Christian husband's not willing to, encourage him every day to. And if he keeps blowing you off, that doesn't stop you from getting on your knees and praying for your husband. It doesn't mean that there's no prayer in the home because he's not willing to do what he needs to do. It just means that you have to pray for two instead of one. Get on your face before the Lord. Now let me encourage you with this as I move on to the last point. 
Don't just pray when you're driving down the road when you have a thousand and one distractions. When your life's falling apart or your marriage is falling apart or it's starting to go in a direction it shouldn't, shouldn't be going and you don't want it to go. Don't wait until you see driving down the road and, and again, finding all of the things that's going to distract your ideas and your mind and your heart. You need to get on your face before the Lord. Cut off the TV. Cut off your cell phone. And you need to get into the Word of God. Say, well, Pastor, he just ain't willing to listen. The only one that needs to listen is God. Let God listen first and let Him move in the heart. If your husband's a Christian, let me, let me be very clear. He will get His attention. He will get His attention if He's a Christian man. And if He's not, the Word of God is very clear. You live your life before your husband as a Christian woman and let the Lord use that to convict his life and draw him unto him. The last one, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. And this one simply is, is Father, provoke not your children. We talked about provocation through bitterness. I believe as Christian mothers, but I also believe as Christian men that we love our children. And I believe that the love that we have for our children just as much for our wives can be taken out of context when we live too much life and not enough life in Jesus. What I mean by that is you're working so hard trying to do. My dad told me early on, he said, son, when you get married and you have a family, he says, you get out and go to work. You get a job and you go to work and you take care of your wife and you take care of your family. And you make sure that they have everything that they need and about 10% more. I learned that at 15 years old when I got my first job. But trust me, gentlemen, your wife would rather live in a shanty shack with peace than live in the greatest of mansions with turmoil. I promise you that. You may not believe that. You may not understand that. But I promise you as a Christian woman that is devoutly committed to her faith and her Lord and Savior and to her family, she would rather live in an uninsulated shed and have peace than to have the greatest with chaos. Verse 21 in Colossians 3 says, Fathers... Fathers, mothers too, yes, but here the Apostle Paul addresses fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Do not irritate unto anger. Do not bring about just your frustrations in every man, ever. I believe with all my heart that in some way, somehow, maybe some to greater extents than others, I believe that every father has done this. 
I believe there's times we come home and we're tired. We've worked long hours. We've got stress this, stress that. We've got bills. This is coming up. That's coming up. Your boss is on you. Maybe you're a boss and your employees ain't listening. I understand life and I know there's a thousand factors that come into your relationship. And I know that every husband, even every Christian husband in his own way has brought those frustrations home. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. The greatest way for a Christian husband to show love is to bow himself down to his kids and just simply say, please forgive me. Or I'm sorry. Looking at our kids, and I don't care if they're adults. And we find, and Satan gets into our minds and our hearts, and he begins to push this justification button in our life. Well, they just don't understand. They don't know how hard I work. They don't understand this. They don't. Let me tell you what. What you need to understand is what you know that you need to be dealing with, and how you should be dealing with it, and not bringing those things home and pushing your kids in such a way that it brings an agitation and an irritation to a point of anger. We don't do that. We're not supposed to do that. Why? What is this? And I'm going to close here in just a second. What is this great uh, exasperation of what he's speaking about here in verse 21? How does this take place? What is it that happens? What is it that moves forward? How do we deal with this? How about this? I'm going to give you four real quick. Being inconsiderate. I'm the dad, so you just do what I tell you to do. How about number two? Being too demanding. Dominating over our children, young or old. And whether we have all learned this or not, the innocence of our children does go away. There does come a point in time, gentlemen, that our kids aren't just going to look at you anymore and just go, hey, that's my dad, I love you. There will come a time that you will drive a wedge between you and your children. And your wife ain't automatically going to be able to fix it. How about this one? I don't know how prevalent this is in today's times, but how about being overcorrective? How about being overcorrective? Nothing wrong with correcting them. That's what's wrong with most kids today. They don't have enough correction. But can we get overcorrective? Absolutely. How about unjust and severe? And brothers, let me encourage you, and sisters too. This doesn't stop and start at an age. They don't get to a certain age and it's like, it's cut off. This goes out through a lifetime. This can be something that you can have a great relationship until your kids are in their 40s. And then you start pushing in a particular direction. And this great relationship that you've had up to this point, now you're seeing that there's a great transition. What has caused it? There is a time with some of our kids that we can look at them at any age and say, I'm sorry. Maybe that will be enough. But what about that one child that's had enough? And she or he looks at you and says, listen, You may be my dad. And I love you because you are my dad. But every relationship is done. 
it's finished. And I've seen too many relationships that were severed and never healed again. But I have seen some that were severed and were healed. But should we ever let it get to that point? That we have to worry about getting it back. We all get angry. We all get tired. We all get fed up. We all get upset. But it's how we address these issues with our wives, with our husbands, with our children, and even with our grandchildren is what we need to be focusing on. Because remember, not everything once had can be regained in the end. Is the cost worth the price? Think about that. Sister Jill, if you'll come. I don't know what it is that you needed out of this today. Maybe it was a healing of your heart. Maybe there's no way that you can apply this as husband and wife. I don't know. Or maybe there's a wife that is saying... Husband, listen to what the Word of God is saying. I don't want you to listen to me. My authority is nothing more than just repeating what the Word of God teaches. Do you need to change? There's this thing that the Word of God teaches us that's called pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs says. Are you in the lane of destruction? What do you need to do today? I encourage you as you stand that if you need to grab your wife's hand or your kid's hand and come to the altar, I ask that you come. Maybe you just need to come on your own. I don't know. But let me encourage you as we move forward with this song. If you're in a place right now where you find yourself blaming the other person more, you're in a very dangerous place because you're not taking a good enough look at yourself. It's easy for me to look at Tracy and blame her for anything, but it's very difficult for me to look at myself and admit all things. I don't know where your heart and your life is today. I don't know what you need. You may need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I don't know what it is, but I do ask as we sing a couple verses of this invitation that you respond. Leave guilt, leave arrogance, and leave pride in the chair and get down here to the altar and pray. Do what you need to do and do it quickly. Father, as we sing these couple verses of invitation, Lord, we do so by grace and the majesty of your favor. Move as only you can. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.